Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Thanks for supporting my Jen Lowry Writes podcast. My purpose is to inspire and encourage others to chase after their writing goals with faith and courage. By hitting the support this podcast button and with your monthly contribution of 99 cents, $4.99 or $9.99, you are helping me chase after mine. Well, hey, y'all, welcome to Jen Lowry Writes. I am so honored to be able to sit here with you guys this afternoon with Miss Nina Montianu. She is a Canadian ecologist and internationally published novelist of science fiction and fantasy. In addition to eight published novels, she's written award-nominated short stories. She's an essayist. She currently lives in Toronto and she teaches at the University of Toronto and George Brown College. Her book, Water Is, a scientific study and personal journey as a limnologist, mother, teacher, and environmentalist, was picked by Margaret Atwood in the New York Times as 2016, The Year in Reading. Nita frequently speaks at scientific conferences, gives workshops on writing throughout North America and Europe, and coaches writers to publication. I want to just welcome you, Nina. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Jen. It's a pleasure. All right. I loved reading your bio. Just thinking of your wealth of novels from sci-fi to fantasy to short story essays. You heard it, guys. You've got it. And fiction writing. Tell me all about how you do what you do and just honoring that blank page of yours. Wow, I like like how you asked that, honoring that blank page. That's, uh, boy, that scares a lot of readers, <laughs> that blank page. Uh, I'm not. I'm not scared of the blank page. Uh, I've been blessed with inspiration throughout my life. I started writing as a kid. And um, I was, but I was doing a different kind of writing. I was writing comics. Because that's what Ooh. I loved as a kid. I was a comic writer and, and a drawer. And I loved all those comics, you know, uh, Superman, Supergirl, Superboy, Magnus Robot Fighter, all those guys, right? And I, superheroes, basically. I was one of those people. And I'd, I'd hide in William's general store with the smell of tobacco and penny candy and you know, all, all the cool stuff that are in general stores. And I would hide behind the comic rack at the back of the store. I'd hide myself there, grab a comic and read it for, I don't know, it felt like hours, but it was probably only a few minutes. And bless Mr. Williams never called me out, said, hey, kid, you time to go. Are you buying that comic? Uh -huh. <laughs> right, that sort of thing. He just let me. It was like we were commiserating. It was really so cool. He was a quiet man. 
uh, you know, kind of almost gruff. But there you go. You, you let the little kids do their thing. I was quiet, so I guess he figured it was okay. <laughs> if I was rowdy, that'd be a different thing. And then ever so often, I'd have a penny to buy some candy too. So that was all right. It came from there. So in the meantime, you know, I had a older brother and sister, and they were devouring those books, kids' books. Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, Bobsy Twins, some of the adventure, Tom Swift, whatever. I didn't read any of them. I read the comics instead. I <laughs> looked at the pictures and the odd little print, right, that's in there for the story. I missed out on all that. Um, but when I did get going on writing, I mean, I always wanted to be a writer, as I said mm -hmm. to you. So I was a storyteller, but there I was. I didn't read. And uh, I came from an immigrant family, so English was my third language, fourth language actually. Uh, German and Romanian parents living in a French neighborhood, so I learned French in the neighborhood with the kids, learned all the best words. Mm. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I was forced to learn English in, when I went to school, so you can imagine I didn't do very well. <laughs> I don't know if they had, when you were going to school, they had these stupid things called spelling bees, you know, and they would form teams. The popular kid would be the captain and they would choose their, well, guess, guess who was chosen last usually. Cause I mean, I could, I couldn't spell with beans, honestly. Anyway, so there I was with this uh, ambition to write, to write because I was a storyteller. I wanted to be a storyteller. And I kind of melded the two loves, my love of drawing with writing to think I was going to do graphics uh, novels, which is what I was reading in the back of Williams ah. store, of course. Well, that never really happened. <laughs> uh, you know, my parents dissuaded me from becoming a cartoonist for one thing, even, even though they liked my art and stuff and thought art being an artist might be a cool thing. But my dad was very practical. He said, you need to be a teacher or a nurse. You know, this is what girls are supposed to do, um, right? <laughs> we've had this conversation in we, my past. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, well, there you yeah. go. See? Well, and then you nurse. became a limnologist. Look at here's this. the funny thing. I also <laughs> became a teacher. But, you know, I mean, I ended up, and not only that, but I teach nurses. At U of T, I'm teaching nursing students how to write. So, thank you. Thank you, Dad. I, I did do what you asked me to, but yes. in a roundabout way, you know. So I went, uh, I still had this storytelling thing in the back of my head. I, I've got to do this. It was, a, it was driving me. But on, at the same time, I really got involved in the environmental movement. And uh, I was just, um, one of my pet peeves was littering, for instance. I hate littering. I hate what goes behind that, that lack of respect for the environment that you're in even, right? People just drop stuff. Oh, it, I don't want it anymore. It's garbage. And, and, and you're littering all over the place. It's such, anyway. So I, I had that as, even as a kid. And so I, I really wanted to do, to make a difference. So I thought originally of being an environmental lawyer. And then I realized soon, very quickly, that I didn't have that kind of temperament or staying power or whatever it was that you need to be a good lawyer. So I went into the sciences. I went into ecology and eventually limnology. But then that back door was still knocking. I want to be a writer. 
<laughs> so um, that's where science fiction came in. At the same time, I obviously uh, discovered reading and started reading voraciously. Anything from, and I read everything, the nonfiction stuff, philosophy, uh, sociology to fiction, fantastic fiction. I read uh, uh, a lot of science fiction. Ray Bradbury was one of my favorite authors. His, uh, I, I tell everybody this, his Martian Chronicles, when I read it, made me cry. I was just oh. so affected by it, so moved. At the same time, I was picking up the classics. Remember, I was catching up, right, from being a little yep. kid, <laughs> not reading at all. Was so this was while you were up. in college or when you graduated Just, from college? No, in college, in college. In college. So pretty young still, picking up all the classics, right? Uh, George Eliot, Thomas Hardy, uh, Balzac, Chekhov, Dostoevsky, everybody. And um, I was enamored with Thomas Hardy. I don't know if you've read any of his stuff. It's it's classical, so it's it's not the easiest thing for some people to read, but very sensual, very sensual with setting and place, and he just takes you right there. And and this it's about the countryside in England uh, over the Georgian Victorian time period, and just gorgeous writing, beautifully metaphoric, and of course Ray Bradbury, very metaphoric. So as a budding writer, I was starting to write short stories and novels. I wrote my first novel when I was 15. Oh, anyway, yeah, it didn't go anywhere. Well, there's, was it was a story it? runner. Yes, there okay. is. In fact, the, the, the story was uh, called Caged in World. And it was about, uh, here, here's the crazy thing. This was in 1960s. It was about global warming. It was about climate change. Long before anybody was talking about it. I was See, writing about it at age You were 15. on the cusp of something like magnificent I, right there. I was there. picking up. I was picking Where? up the airwaves, babe. And yeah. um, so it was about a, a, a city that's enclosed because of climate change disaster and what happens in there. And funnily enough, I mean, that, that story morphed. It didn't get published. I did try. Actually, at some point I tried. I sent it out to get it published. But in the meantime, Remember what I was reading, Thomas Hardy, Ray Bradbury, and the way I was writing was a mix of these two. Not the thing that most people want to read, right? I mean, Thomas Hardy a la Ray Bradbury. It was like weird stuff, <laughs> two, two genres sort of clashing. In other words, it was highly ponderous, became highly ponderous and stuff. So I, I had some learning to do, but those were my mentors. Those were my, my inspiration. And I did finally find my voice, my personal voice, which I must say is still a blending of those two, a speculative fiction style. And eventually that story, which was a real mix-up thing, uh, became a real story and it did get published. It Yay. got published, at, yeah, it got published as Angel of Chaos and then the sequel is Darwin's Paradox. And they are literally about that world that I built back in age 15. Mm -hmm. And then I haven't looked back since. I mean, I publish, uh, write and publish a novel and or a full-length nonfiction book once a year. So every year something comes out. I've got, uh, it's been, you know, 14, 15 years that I've been writing and publishing. 
and that's how many books I have out. Oh wow! So yeah, pretty awesome. Pretty <laughs> the key amazing. for me was uh, was finding my voice and something to write about, something important for me. And I think that's you know that's a lesson for all writers, anyone who's starting off as a writer. It's important for them to know why they're writing, have something that's important, not to necessarily write a uh, polemic, like put that up front saying, I am sending this message to you, you need to do this, you know, that kind of stuff. But have that as an underlying theme that's important to them. For me, it's the environment, protecting the environment, understanding the environment. And lately it's water and how water interacts with us and how we are, in fact, over 70% water. And, so and then your taking that into story. Your storytelling is just in relationship with earth, with community, with you interacting with all of these parts and how they all work together. So it would be like this harmonious blend of life in story in book form. For then people yeah. to go out and question and wonder and maybe be a catalyst yeah. for change. Definitely. The key is to entertain. And that's always the writer's prerogative. First, first rule is to have a story that draws the reader in to the story through strong characters and characters on a journey, characters going somewhere. They don't have to physically go somewhere, but they need to go somewhere, right? they need to go somewhere and and then you draw the reader in to their world and by describing the character in their world and how they interact with that the setting and the place that becomes the the larger theme of the story and that's where you can bring in um, not necessarily overtly educational material which I kind of almost do, but, uh, but do morals, but, but lesson. And, yeah. Lessons and, 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 uh, and, and meaning, meaning, and, and you're right. Lessons. And I, I do think that good writing can do that and does that. And you come away, you know, when you come away and you're still thinking about the book and you're thinking about the character and what, what they did and what happened. Sometimes you're rooting for them. Sometimes you're screaming at them. <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> Go that way, right? And uh, that's cool. You've got you've got your reader by the as they say by the short and curlies at that right. point, right? And they're never going to let go, but they will be moved. They will be touched. Not unlike to go back to Ray Bradbury and his Martian Chronicles. So it was set on Mars, and it was about people coming and going there, about the settlers. And, and it was about the Martians who weren't really there, but they were there. So, in fact, the story, the deeper part of the story, is not about Mars at all. It's about us. It's about our settler, our colonial uh, mentality. What, what happens when we go to a new place and settle there? What happens to the indigenous peoples? that are there that, that are affected, you know, by the hot dog stands that come up, you know, by the, the disease that we bring. So his whole Martian story is metaphor. Mars is a metaphor. The people are a metaphor. What happens is a metaphor for something to do much closer to home. 
who and what we are. And when a story does that and resonates with you, um, even though it's science fiction, it's out there on Mars, right? Uh, but it resonates with you personally, then you have story. You have and it does power. its magic and its work without you even realizing that it's happening. Exactly. And you, that's, that's what creates classics, right? That's why yes. these older books get read over and over again, because they appeal universally to the, to the person through the metaphor, even though they're talking about something very specifically elsewhere. But the underlyingness, the deeper meaning is what attaches to you. And uh, that, yeah, that's uh, all good art. All art does all that, good. right? All good storytelling all... transcends like time and place. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Definitely. And so here you are, you know, just avid reader, soaking it all in, <laughs> taking <laughs> yeah. care of your studies. You're out and about, you're a traveler. Talk about how it came to be where you moved from writing books to then teaching about writing. When did those opportunities start to come for you? And how did all of that feel? Wow. I haven't been asked that in a while. So I have to think about that because I've done my teaching in sort of two stints. Um, the, the easy one, the easy transition was when I was out at UVic in uh, BC, in uh, British Columbia. And uh, that naturally happened as a result of my studies. I was getting my master's of science there. And as a result, I was teaching on the side as a, as a student teacher. And then I went from there to teaching classes and, and that sort of thing. But then I moved away. I went through a change in life uh, and basically became an explorer and went all the way to the East Coast to Halifax in the Maritimes. And, and at that point, I mean, what it, basically what I was doing was rejigging my career because I had uh, gone from, uh, my studies were in ecology, like I said, ecology, limnology. And from there, that little short teaching stint, I went on to become an environmental consultant. So I was working as a scientist, writing papers, writing reports, zooming around in boats, even though I wasn't a very good swimmer. And there's a whole story with that too, but we won't go there. Well, maybe we should at some point because <laughs> I, I write about water all the time, right? Exactly. So, so I'm, I'm doing all that, that wonderful scientific work uh, as a consultant. Uh, so I'm consulting with industry, with government, uh, with small towns, uh, developing areas, uh, places that are beside waters or rivers or whatever, and consulting with them in terms of, you know, what they need to do as a, as a limnologist and as an ecologist, aquatic ecologist. But like I said, and somewhere in there, I got married and I had a kid, <laughs> you know, your life keeps going, right? You do all kinds of stuff. But then there was that shift. My kid grew up and things happened and I ended up moving to the coast. And at that point, I stopped my career in the sciences as an environmental consultant and a scientist. And I decided to go straight into nothing but writing, which was, you know, that's a writer's dream. Every writer wants to be a full-time writer and do nothing else. Well, guess what? So I went over to Nova Scotia, lived in several towns. Halifax was one of them. Mahone Bay, another one, a gorgeous little town. Uh, Lunenburg, another gorgeous little town, a lot of history there. 
but do you think I could write? <laughs> or I don't know. Or, you or tell get a me. job as a writer? Well, I <laughs> didn't really. Uh, I soon found out that um, I needed to supplement my writing with teaching again. So taking my dad's advice, early advice, remember he told me, teach and or nursing, right? And now uh, you fall back on that. And so I did, I found a teaching job. Uh, turns out, it, but it wasn't in the Maritimes. It was in Toronto. It was at U of T. And uh, George Brown came along as well. So I started literally teaching writing, which to me is the cousin to actually yes. writing. It's, they're yes. one in a family because you learn by doing and by teaching writing, you're learning as well as giving. And uh, I strongly believe, by the way, that all of us, whether we're writers or not, in this case, we're talking about a writer here, have a responsibility to give back to the community that's, that's given us something to, to become successful. And I have to say I am successful, uh, quite a successful writer. I'm quite well, I'm fairly well known in my genre, particularly. Um, I get gigs all the time to speak. I get uh, gigs in magazines to write articles, uh, also to write short stories. So their magazines are coming to me as opposed to me searching out them. And that's when it tips that way, you know that you've reached to some kind of critical place. So, but at the same token, all these things are gifts that I've received. And I think it's really important in this world today, particularly right now, what's happening, is that we understand that gift giving is a two-way street, that we need to give back. We need to simply give. It's not even giving back. We need to give. And I, I've always felt that way anyway. I've always wanted to help people. I was that little kid who wanted to rescue the little, you know, puppy that was there or the, or the bird with the broken wing or the whatever. I was always out there doing that. I think I got that from my dad who kept bringing home strays. <laughs> oh, my mom would go, oh, not another one. <laughs> so we have these three cats that are all feral cats almost, but lovely cats. My dad would just come home with them. He just couldn't, couldn't not do it. Anyway, I think I inherited that. And, um, when you give, you're also giving. I mean, you're also getting, right? You yes. know that. And it doesn't mean that there's, there's, you're looking for, okay, what's the angle? What am I going to get when I do this? It's not that kind of getting back. It's the getting back, though, that warmth, that, that wonderful, yeah, yeah, that soul-warming, nurturing, nurturing feeling of doing something wonderful for someone else and helping them along. And honest to God, aren't we here for that? You know? Yes. And I, it includes people. It includes the environment. In my, my case, I stretch it out to beyond my horizon of, of humanity and uh, take it to the environmental level. And that's my, been my work since I've actually been a kid and I just uh, wrote an article for another magazine on that. And I realized as I was writing it, I was looking at my history of the things that I'd done, what I, you know, how I'd done them. So you kind of, you kind of were uh, quizzing me on that too, which was kind of neat, sending me on that journey. And I, I realized that all the things that I did from, you know, going after littering when I was a little kid and I did do that. I, I put up posters in the school 
I was a little kid putting up posters, telling people to stop littering and save the world sort of thing. Global warming. Remember I was writing about global warming at age 15 back in the 60s? And, and my teacher, one teacher would come to me and say, what are you doing? I didn't stop anyway. Anyway, but to keep, you know, there was that, that feeling of the planet, the whole entire, this gorgeous Gaia, Jen. I mean, this, this gorgeous, gorgeous world we live in is a gift. It is a gift. All of it is a gift. Our relatives, the trees, the birds, the bees, they're all our relatives who have received a gift. We're all gift giving. And the indigenous, the indigenous uh, people really know this. They live by this, this type of system, if you will, a gift economy, it's called where uh, reciprocity is, is just part of life and sharing is part of life. You know, if you're in hardship, instead of hoarding, you share more. Wow, what, and that's, that flips it, right? That's, that's, if you're in one camp, you can't think of it doing it the other way. That's the problem. And, and this is something that, that we need to learn. And words and, can and help doing. break down that that camp wall. Yep, definitely, definitely. So, so it sounds like you have soul-satisfying joy. Looking back, reflecting, I can just feel the joy and the passion and the love for not only storytelling and craft and giving in earth, but just in life itself. Yeah, thank you. I, I like to think that it's I can it, feel that <laughs> well maybe it's because I was the youngest born I don't know when <laughs> I got away with so much I have no idea but but yeah you know my brother and sister were great were such great siblings for me they just kind of come on come on imp let's do this you know and uh, I had a I had a great childhood I of course give my parents uh you know kudos for that they just uh this was back when, you know, the, the eastern townships of Quebec countryside. And, and back then, I'm, I say back then, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but <laughs> you can guess maybe. Um, they just let us run around, right? They didn't have a, a, you know, ball and chain, you know, tell us exactly where you are. Don't go beyond those enclosures. The world wasn't enclosed back then. And I mean, there are places where it isn't now too, mainly in the small towns, the world is not enclosed. And we lived in a world that was not enclosed. We had a forest in the back where we would go, three of us, and I would tag along. I was always a little one tagging along, right? Two years younger than my sister, who was a year younger than my brother. And we'd go and make magic potions and tell stories in the forest, right? Magic potions from moss and water and a bit of dirt and maybe some other leaves and things crush them all up and maybe maybe even some nightshade right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> belladonna and crush yeah. it all up and then you know and, uh, pretend we're we're you know then we get into the storytelling and you know my sister and i were storytellers we would stay up late at night we were all going to bed right we all had to go to bed boink sort of boink and then nine or i don't know ten o'clock even maybe and by the time my parents were going to bed, which was long after, we were still 
whispering to each other, my sister and I, about the story. We were just telling stories of the fantastic out in the universe. And, and we had a cast of a bazillion characters. And yeah, I guess that was that was happening all the time. And maybe that's part of it is that we were always storytelling. And that that makes for a wonderful narrative and some wonderful memories and um, sharing, right? And yes. in fact, uh, we, we even did radio plays, my sister and I, and my brother once in a while um, in front of our parents. Love and it. We would perform in front, and they loved it. They loved it. My mom shared much later uh, when I was married, I guess when I got married, she, she shared some stories that she used to kind of just, she was always, you know, she was a, a homemaker. She was at home working and as my dad was out working in the factory and she she would just listen to our little storytelling she would take a break and just sit there and listen and she was so entertained we had no idea she was there listening it was, uh, it was so cool and so now you like all of this lived experience with story and craft just becomes this natural part of who you are it does. I, the world you know, and the extension of story is just just naturally flowing like water onto definitely. paper. Yes. Oh, lovely metaphor. Jen, so, that's lovely. And yeah. So when, when you're writing, when you are approaching your blank page and the idea strikes you, I love that you produce fluent, you know, fluent work. You're, you're out. You're moving. You're once a year. You have goals. You, you manage to, to balance it all and get the work done. Mm -hmm. So I applaud you for that mm -hmm. and for Thank continuing you. to move forward. But when the idea hits you, talk to me a little bit about your process. I find process so fascinating. Yeah. Do you, do you plan? Do you just go for it? Do you dip in and out with your toes in the water to see what happens? <laughs> or do you dive in? I'd just yep. love to hear. Yeah. You're talking, well, the, there's the jargon out there in, in the writing world between pantsers and plotters, right? I like dipping uh, your toes yeah. in or diving and, in for you. I, yeah, I like that for you. You got it. You got it. <laughs> I am definitely not a plotter. Uh, having said that, uh, I learn because I, as I said, I, I write at least a book a year. And for in some, in some years, I was writing two books a year, one fiction, one nonfiction. So to become efficient there's that word efficiency yes <laughs> when when you're working for when you're writing for a living which i started to do uh you have to become efficient it's not even so much you have to you just learn that it works better that way so you become more efficient and one way i realized i could do that was to initially plot but before i did that before the initial plot, I would have a premise. I would have an idea. I would have an idea and or a character. I don't know. Sometimes one shows up first before the other, like a character fully, fully imagined. I got one story from a dream of a ah. night, of a night in a drowned cathedral. And, and, and light was shining down across, you know, slanted onto the night and he was there in this mire all these there, some war had happened and he was literally in a in a drowned cathedral you could see the the, uh, the walls going up the arches the vaulted uh, arches 
and he's standing there in his full garb looking. This was a picture that, that someone had painted. And I got that idea of this night, what's going on. And, and in fact, it wasn't, like I said, it was kind of, I dreamt it and then I made it into a dream in a story. And then it just built like that. So, I mean, that, that's kind of a fast way. Um, just to go back to that particular story, I then was doing research and, uh, and Jen, I believe in, in uh, serendipity. I believe in um, synchronicity. When I'm working on something and I have an idea, like I just had this, this experience, right? That I knew I was gonna write about a character. I had no idea what the story was gonna be. So the story presented itself to me through research. And I was researching something totally different when something else popped up and it, and it connected to this dream. And Don't like, you just love that? Oh, I do. Oh. I love it. That's what I'm going to write about. So next thing that opened the whole floodgates. So the, it connected me to a famous battle, the Battle of Grunwald in Poland back in uh, 14, 1410, I think it was. And then next thing you know, I had a character, a, a girl, a young girl, who has dreams, blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, I have a story. Ah. And, and it, it just builds like that. And every single story that, I, that I've written has developed in some way like that. So there's elements of synchronicity. Things come to me, either a picture, an image, a news event. Someone uh, that I'm walk, taking a walk with will say something to me and they'll go, <gasps> That's what we writers are doing all the time, right? And the key, though, is that I'm loose about it. Mm. I'm not all hung up with this with this cramped plot that I have to put together, that I have to jury-rig characters and things into. I let it grow organically. So you I was could thinking say, organic when you earlier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I am much more of a pantser than a plotter. But like I said before, to become more efficient, I bring in plotting element just to help so I what what by doing that I'm also looking taking myself out a little bit it's all about perspective for the writer if you're writing at the character level you're very you're right there with the character you're in the story you're immersed submersed if, if you will and you are there with them right their perspective and going through so it's like you're in the forest and you're you see the forest for everything that's there. You see the moss, you see the bark and the trees above you and uh, the, the topography, but you don't see the whole forest. You see you're experiencing it. So as a plotter, I place myself outside. So I'm looking down like a drone. <laughs> so yeah. I, become, I become the drone and I'm up there looking at, the, now I can see uh, now I have a different perspective. I have the omniscient perspective of looking at the story and the placement of the character in the story. I'm not totally out of it, but I'm out of it enough to be more objective of the, about the mm. story, about what the archetypes are that the characters are playing, who's there, what's going on. And I, I wouldn't say do that sort of thing when you're starting to write because you get confused. But as a, someone who's done this, you know, story after story after story, 
I'm able to do that. I can go back and forth. I guess my old consulting days have helped me with that because as an environmental consultant, you have to wear several hats all at the same time. And you also have to be able to read upside down and do a whole bunch of other really weird things that <laughs> no one else <laughs> thinks that people can do. But you learn to do them as a consultant. So you become multitasking, you become very good at multitasking. And that's what a that's what I do as a writer. So I'm researching on the one hand, pink getting pinged with story elements, putting them in, writing them, and in writing them, that opens up another door. And I'm looking, changing my perspective, going back and forth. And all of that is like this big giant amoeba that's moving forward. And I'm good with that. And every story will be different. Yes. In in yes. terms of the the approach and the process. So that's that's why I don't um, teach about process in my courses. People have asked me that. And I don't because I think everybody needs to develop their own process. Mm -hmm. Based on yeah, basic structure, yeah. just beginning, middle, end. Get yourself there. <laughs> what yeah. What I feel from you is that no matter where you are, above the trees or in the middle of the forest or down on the dirt, hands in the dirt, you're present within your story. Yes. You just I think are that's, present. Yeah, that's the key. And that's uh, the problem that some people face if they're just plotting they, and they find that they're right outside the story becomes mechanical. There's, and then their characters become mechanical. They become avatars instead of the real thing. And then there's that risk that the story just uh, doesn't engage you in the way that it should in a more organic process. And of course, right. you know, the reader will sense that definitely. But being present in those moments and then giving, like you said, giving yourself that looseness, that freedom also mm -hmm. allows you to be an active listener. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because that's so important for the art. It's just it to listen. To listen. You're very right. Very astute. To listen. Very astute, Jen. Because that's also the part that's, again, why pantsers and plotters, they, they seem to be one or the other. And that's the silly thing, really. But the, that argument, that whole dialectic between those two is um, almost artificial. But the argument of the the pantsers is, is just that, that if you're a plotter, you're not giving yourself that, that freedom to listen and to grow and to change and to move with those characters that, if you, that you've created that are so alive and so real that they will tell you what to write. And they do. The characters become real. How do they become real? Well, first of all, by you listening, yes. but also by you doing the research, but also by you thinking of metaphor and what they represent, what their archetypes are, what their utility is. I mean, it does come to that too, but to fully flesh them out is again, to be aware of what is it that, what's their place in this story? What, what is their story in the story, right? And it's do you believe them? Yeah. And do you believe them? So you as a writer have to believe them first yes. and then it moves from there outwardly. Because once yeah. you believe, then they take you in 
and trust you just a little bit more yeah. to give you those next steps. Even if you've plotted, the next yep. steps will come easier. Yeah. For but, you. you know, that's also why you, you very astute again, what you said. Um, if you create believable characters, so we talk about, you know, how to do that through sensibility and through story, story journey, etc. So once you've created these very real characters, and often they will be slightly, some increment of them is based on someone that you know, or yourself even, right? That, <laughs> yeah. that is definitely part of not, we know not it. just in literary fiction. They, we say, know they openly say that in literary fiction. The genre fiction, they, they don't, but it's it's the same. It's the same. So anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> but once you've done that, here's the really cool part. If you're writing like science fiction or fantasy, if you have really good characters, characters that the reader believes in, is invested in, then you can take that character anywhere literally anywhere some weird place a a purple planet with everything being orange for whatever reason uh in a place that that itself is inconsistent but your characters are the grounding part of the story and then you can go into the fantastical and that's where again that role of metaphor comes in right like i mentioned mars Mars is really a stand-in for anywhere on Earth where there's settler colonialism going on. It's those characters that you've taken and present them in a context of place. So I'm not saying that place isn't important, but I, I am saying that if you uh, ground your story in believable characters good characters and they can even be aliens doesn't matter what they are they can be animals or my animals be... that talk yes yeah yeah or they can be trees yes. or anything i've wrote uh, trees that, that sing with a, yes with i'm writing tree. middle grade yeah. fantasy are yes. you awesome yes there you go <laughs> so cool right yes um, and the key again is the voice the voice of the character that takes you through that fantastical world or situation and um, it, it grounds. So the reader is willing to go anywhere with you. That's, that's the beauty. And that's the beauty of story, of storytelling. Of and that's story the dream telling. of the author. Yeah, it sure is to, to accomplish that. Uh, but, you know, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It isn't just, it is. you know, we're not all Mozarts. And even Mozart. Worked. If you think about it, Mozart really worked. He gave uh, more than 100%, particularly by giving away his childhood. If you think about mm -hmm. it, he, he gave a lot to be what he was. He was extremely gifted, but, you know, he, he did his time, if you will. There's no such thing as an instant, instant bestseller either or an instant well-known writer. There's always work behind that, always work in in the shadows if you will um and so attention to your craft to your storytelling to understanding the use of metaphor is an extreme extremely important part of doing well as a writer as a storyteller of any and form. then and also finding books that resonate with you and finding authors that do it so well 
Yeah. And, yes. And then as, as mentors, on as to, Yes. With uh, living or passed on yep. and holding on to their books for dear life. Yep. And yeah, As you got I've got, I've got Thomas Hardy, uh, every single Thomas Hardy book in, in my uh, little library, uh, cashed away in BC. And uh, you can bet your, you know what, that I've got Ray Bradbury and a few other choice pieces of works that are my dear friends. Yes. They're my dear friends. And they have taught me, you know, to be the writer that I am. Uh, they have I'm taught very, you that it was grateful. okay. It was oh, like when I read Bradbury, when I read Fahrenheit 451. Yeah. That book hit me in so many places. Yeah. That's one of my top five favorite books of all time. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I had the joy of being able to teach it to ninth graders and teach them at one no. point in my oh. life. Yes. Ninth graders. That's yes. A great age. I'm teaching a sound of that. thunder next week. So you'll see oh. Bradbury showing right back up. Uh, that's that's right. my next Thursday's lesson. I plan oh. in advance with my team oh, and I'm that. doing uh I chose to replace so I could get Bradbury in there and we're doing a sound of thunder, but just watching the words lift off the page. It's almost as if I'm reading and his words lift off the page. They do. Just, his, they lift. And when they lift, they're in short burst, short burst, fragmented and yes. alive. And when they lift it off the page, something unlocked in me and gave me a sense of expression and freedom that I can lift the words from my heart to the page. Right. Because you talk wow. about that reciprocate, wow. like that gift giving. Yes. yes. The moment hit yes. me through, through just books I love. The Hobbit that I fall in love with every time I say the word, just the word. I fall in love again with Tolkien's work. And it's just yeah. gives me that yeah. freedom to be able to approach this screen to say, I believe in you. I believe in this process, this hope. And I pray that even with my newest fantasy, I yes, I did just finish up a serial killer book. I love how you do your work because I'm like, yeah, you and I, like I just go after whatever story comes my way and it's a gift to me. It's my responsibility to share that gift. And so, yeah, from serial killer, from ancient Egypt traveling <laughs> a month wow. ago. And now wow. the Fay of Averly is going to be coming out soon, which is hopefully a move in the middle grades world to make people question, well, who are those shadows yeah. and why is the forest quiet? Yeah. And how are these shadows stealing their voice and freezing their voices? Wow. So I'm hoping that, you know, just through that fantasy work through the forest, that it can have children and, and young adults, even if they grab it to read with siblings, a chance to say, what are we doing? Are Jen, we those shadows? Yes, 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 you know, exactly. Exactly. Making that connection. Yeah. Jen, have you run across this book? Let me see. Oh, no. And I don't have my glasses on. Okay, it's I need the, to grab my glasses because I see how the Marrow Thieves is that the Marrow Thieves? So the Marrow, that one, so the Marrow Thieves is on one of our recommended list, 
and it may be coming school to our high uh, soon to our high school. Yeah, it's it's written by Métis, a young Métis author, and she's she's won several awards. Sherry Dem Demeline. Love exactly the cover. Pronounce the name. That's a young, a young Métis Indigenous boy, and I'm just reading it now. Ah. I mean, I've been meaning to read it for a while, but excellent for for schools because it's it's yes. pretty it's YA, but it's you know it's got some um, real serious uh, I say adult material in it. So it's it's you know a a good way to does much more than entertain, let's put it that way. Um, something worthwhile discussing as yeah. it touches on some of the things that we discussed before and uh, mostly the plight of the indigenous peoples mm -hmm. in, in our countries who have been uh, well, basically taken advantage of and maligned in some ways. And, you know, we, we are in the process of reconciliation, but what does that really mean? <laughs> So, I mean, the, the fact that this writer has come out and has been um, celebrated to, to the extent that she has been is, is a wonderful thing to see as well. It's because, again, that is her voice that's coming out, right? We talked about voice being so important. The voice of the Indigenous peoples is finally coming out. And it's maybe just because it's finally allowed to or they're finally they got it together. I don't know, you know, it's a combination of things, but it is happening now and it's because it needs to happen now, yes. I suppose. Yes. And um, it, it's wonderful to, to watch, watch that process. So that's partly why I'm reading it just to, to be in the know, to read more indigenous works. And uh, she's a, she's an awesome writer. So, yeah. Shouting it out, Miss Nina, shouting them out. Yep. Still giving, giving praise, giving more praise. I, I will say I have thoroughly enjoyed our time together. So I have I. just, Jen, it just want to like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Just like the screen. <laughs> um, truly have just loved our conversation and our time together and so much words of wisdom for writers that are first at 15, wanting to write about a concept that might not have been talked about yet, but is on the cusp of yeah. being so in the future. Yeah, to writers at any age or yeah. any experience level. So, so your words of wisdom throughout the podcast today have really like opened up my eyes and mind as well to the possibilities of story within my own work. So I, I truly appreciate that. Thank you, Jen. It uh, was a real pleasure. You, you, you've been asking some astute things and, and uh, uh, yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed this discussion. I have too. So mm -hmm. where could people find you? Are you, I know you're out and you're traveling. Are you traveling out in the internet on the social media? I, oh, well, a little bit. Uh, I'm no longer on Facebook because, uh, or Instagram uh, for various reasons, but I, I'm elsewhere. I'm totally out there on Google. If you just, one of the best ways to find me is just to Google my name because there are some Nina Montianos out there, but not that many. So that's the beauty <laughs> well, of my name being original. Well, I Googled you and you are first in line. Oh, on the see, there you go. So Yay. Um, you are first up there. 
You're the headliner. Uh, oh, thank you. Well, because I'm, I'm out there pushing myself. Um, I do have three websites, uh, blogs, two blogs, one devoted to water. It's called The Meaning of Water. The other one, uh, two others, one to do with my coaching, my writing coaching and my writing generally and with lots mm -hmm. of good articles. That's ninamontiano.me. And then there's another one, ninamontiano.ca, which is just uh, about me as a writer, it tells you what I've got, my books out there and uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then I do have a kind of a, a pop fiction site where, you know, I put all kinds of weird stuff up and it's called the alien next door. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you can find me there. You can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, again, on Twitter, I'm alien next door. Alien um, next door. I'm going yeah, right now. Yeah, this yeah. is just actually going to be fun. Yeah, to definitely. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's just going to be fun for me to go to Twitter right now. So everybody stop what you're doing. Yeah. Get out yeah. your phone. Oh, okay. And <laughs> let's my, go my, follow Nina. <laughs> we, we didn't, we didn't speak uh, about my spe specifically about my latest book, which is the, the a diary in the age of water. Yes. Um, but it's, it's out there. You can look it up again. If you Google that, a diary in the age of water you'll find a lot of information on it as well as on my my two sites uh, i'll find out more about it it's a book about four generations of women and their unique relationship with water and it takes place over many many years the diarist is a limnologist in the near future and it's framed by a young a young blue being named <laughs> keo who discovers the diary she's in the far future and she mm. discovers the diary and then there's it so it's framed by her presence beginning and the end and um yeah it's it's received a lot of really good reviews and uh reactions and i'm very very pleased with the response wonderful well deserved well deserved all right guys i thank you so much for joining jen lowry writes nina thanks again for being thanks. here with me it's all right been guys a I'll real pleasure I'll check y'all out later. Now that you found me on the Jen Lowry Writes podcast, I challenge you to head over to where books are sold and find me there. I've published 11 books so far, and I write clean books for all ages. Horror, paranormal, sweet romance, fantasy, historical fiction, you name it. I've got your genre. Search Jen Lowry at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Kobo, and more. And for my Bible devotionals, you'll see my full name, Dr. Jennifer Eichner Lowry on Amazon. So I challenge you today to go out there and write something inspiring and share it with the world. Thanks for joining me on Jen Lowry Writes. You guys have a blessed day.